because sometimes when we need a reminder, we need a reminder of what we're aiming at and what we are all about here as a church. I've been around about six months now, which it feels like it's been like three weeks. Um, It has been so short, but yet it has been half a year. And we've spent a lot of time talking about what we're aiming at as a church and things we'd like. Now, I'm really glad we've got a number of folks here today, their first time here. Praise the Lord for that. You are so welcome at our church. For you, this is not a reminder, this might be news. (laughs) Here at Calvary, our mission is to make joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. To make joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, in order to do that, hear this church, we need to be joyful, passionate worshipers, disciples of Jesus. You cannot make joyful disciples if you are a curmudgeon. It won't happen. Okay? And so we need to be joyful, passionate disciples. Now, I don't know of a better time of the year to talk about joy. I don't know a better time of the year to talk about joy because joy is written all over the pages of the Christmas story. Those who are invited to worship Jesus are done so. The angels invite the shepherds to come with joy in the book of Luke. The wise men, when they find the star in the book of Matthew, rejoice over it when they see it. Simeon and Anna in the book of Luke both express joy and thankfulness at the birth of Jesus Christ and his final arrival. And joy is written all over the words of Mary in her words and song in what is known as the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And that's where we're going to be today. Again, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. This is a song, a praise song of Mary upon having heard the news and believed the news, the angel delivers to her and shares with her. These, what we're going to look at, these words are words of joy. And so let us approach the word of God with reverence, recognizing the authority that it plays in our lives. Let us read from the scriptures. It says this, again, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation." He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Church, joyless Christians make no sense. 
joyless Christians make no sense. Because even if we find ourselves in hard circumstances, even if we find ourselves in things beyond our control, there is always a great reason to rejoice in Jesus. Let me tell you, some of us need to hear that today. But even more than us here in this room today who need to hear this, the world needs to hear this. And I believe this is something that the Lord wants us and the world to know and to experience together. We can, we can. In full acceptance of the gospel and in full obedience to the word of God, be joyless believers. We can. We can believe and accept and we can find ourselves without joy. And I want to be very clear here, very careful here in my clarity. I don't want to accuse Mary of being a joyless believer, but I want to show us something in the text here that will help us see that even in Mary there has been a change. In verse 38, this goes back a few paragraphs. The angel has just delivered this news to Mary that she is going to carry a child that's not hers, that has come from, the, from God and the Holy Spirit and given details about all of this and what she's going to know about this. And it's, it's amazing. And at the end of it, verse 38, Mary says this. Just imagine that you've just been told the news that Mary's been told. She says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, be, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. He believes it. She's even obedient to it. But that's the last thing we hear. Her response doesn't come for weeks. Now she goes and she visits Elizabeth, her cousin, who is also pregnant with a miraculous child, a child she wasn't supposed to be able to have. She's carrying John the Baptist. They know all this story. And, and as part of what happens to Mary in this moment, in meeting with Elizabeth, is everything the angel has said is confirmed for her. Right? The angel says, even your cousin is pregnant. She goes, she finds that out. And suddenly Mary, I think, for the first time realizes that everything the angel has said is true. Right? There's a chance that even in this, as, as believing as her response is and as obedient to God as it is, she's still sitting in disbelief because there's no sign yet of her being pregnant. But she goes with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth pronounces a similar sort of blessing over her as the angel makes. And it's only then that we get words of Mary coming out. We get to see her heart. And that's what we have in the words that we're studying today. In verse 47, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that frames the rest of this paragraph. That frames all the rest of the words. The rest of the words here are about her rejoicing, about her joy. Church, some of us believe we are obedient and yet we do so without any joy. 
And before you look next to you or across the aisle or think about that person at that other church you used to go to or think about that other person who's a curmudgeon, let me ask you a question. Are you as joyful as Mary seems to be in this passage? Because if you're not, then you've got room to grow in your joy. Amen? And so before we look elsewhere, I want to challenge us each to look at our own lives and our own hearts. Are we, are you as joyful today as you should be in light of all that Christ has done for you? For some of us, we may need a reminder of what brings us joy. And that's why we're going to look at our passages today. And we're going to see what it is that fuels Mary's joy in the middle of all of this. What fuels Mary's joy in the middle of all this? Number one, she takes joy in being noticed. She takes joy in being noticed. Here's what it says in verse 48. For he, that's God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Church, God notices her. Can I just tell you this? God notices you. Some of us, we just need to hear that. We need to hear that God notices us. How do I know God notices you? Because he noticed Mary. Here's what she says. She says, he looked on the humble estate. Now, what does that word humble estate mean? It literally means that Mary comes from a poor background. Her family, her birth family is a poor family. She's marrying into a carpenter's family. They're not loaded either. She's from a small town on the outskirts of the middle of nowhere. Anybody relate? But not only is her financial situation humble, she herself is like all of humanity from a broken background with sin and brokenness. As are all of us. There are those that would teach that Mary was sinless her whole life life. Those people don't read the Bible. Romans 3, 10 verse 12 tells us this, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. She says, that God notices even in her humble estate. And she's thinking about this poor life that she has. And she's thinking about the brokenness which she has. She looks at her own background. And she marvels that one such as God, one holy like God, would look upon her in her humble estate and choose her. Now the beautiful thing about Mary at this point is she seems to carry that humility straight through this amazing calling that she's been given. He notices her humility, which persists even through this calling to carry Christ into the world. I mean, she does exactly what she should do in this. She, she lands on herself for a brief moment. And in the end of verse 48, she says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49, she says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. 
and holy is his name. She, she lands on what God is doing in her, but then immediately, what does she do? She deflects off of that straight to the nature and the person of God. And she says, holy is his name. She doesn't say, how great am I? She draws attention back to God for what God is doing is far more important than her piece of it. Friends, let's just hear this. The one whom God notices is the one who finds joy in who he is rather than who we is. Let me say it again because it's really awkward. The one that God notices is the one who finds joy in who he is rather than finding it in who we is. This is the reason God so often calls those who do not deserve to be called. And church, Christian, if you're here and you're a Christian, hear this really well. You don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be called by God and to be saved. Scripture makes this really clear. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Church, God takes notice. And if you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because he took notice of you. It's because he saw you. And he decided something about you. And we're going to come to that in just a moment. This is the way God works. You see this when he chose King David to be king. Out of the sheep fields, the youngest of all of his brothers, the least impressive at the time. For Samuel 16, 1 through 13, we're not going to read that. You should if you haven't. God chooses David out of the fields rather than out of the, the older brothers who know what they're doing and, and have an idea about life. Not David alone. This is exactly how he chose Israel in the first place. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Hear this. If you're here today and you're a Christian, it's because God chose you. And he called you. And he rescued you. And it's not because of you. It's because of him. Here's what it says. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. See, God chooses that which is low to raise up. And you look at Mary, and she knows her humble origin. She knows her humble she knows the sinfulness she was born into and that she's living out of when the good Lord calls her. She, like you and me, were sinful from birth. And she was chosen not because she was perfect, but she was chosen because she wasn't. Because of what God would do with her 
hear this, he chooses based on what he can and will do in and through someone, not what that person can and will do for him. Going back to David. 1 Samuel chapter 16, David has been anointed by Samuel. He has, he has been chosen to be the new king. It says this, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Interestingly enough, chapter 17 is where David meets Goliath. Notice this, David is not chosen because he was a giant slayer. He became a giant slayer because he was chosen. Because the Lord had anointed him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. Mary was not chosen because she could bear Christ. She was chosen because God would do that in her. Because if she can be called and used by God out of her humble circumstances, out of her sinful life, church, hear this, he can use you too. And so when I tell you that God notices you, it's because the word of God tells us that God notices people like you and like me. And he calls us and he makes us into something. Mary was nothing before, but now we're told that she is what? Blessed among the nations. Blessed for all generations. And that actually leads us to our second uh, fuel for joy. The second thing she finds joy in is that is joy in the blessing verse 48 the second half it says for behold from now all generations will call me blessed now we look back and it's fairly easy to to see that mary of course is blessed she's called to this amazing role she gets to carry the christ child into this world care for him love him but do not forget that at this very moment, Mary is carrying a child that she had no role in conceiving. And along with that child, she's carrying the stigma of unwed motherhood in a culture that would and could stone to death someone in her circumstances for their assumed behavior. It was no easier for her family and friends to believe that she was a virgin carrying a child by the power of God than it is for the skeptics of today. We actually, I think, see this play out in her choice of words or the choice of words that Luke uses to record her words here. Because the word here for humble estate at the beginning of all of this, if I can come back to that word, is used in Acts 33 to describe the humiliation of Christ upon his death. Mary, in essence, as she's talking about her humble estate, is referring to the humiliation she is currently bearing for, for bearing a child that is not her husband's. And what does she say about all that? She says, I am blessed. That's a very different way than we use that word in our culture, isn't it? I mean, in our culture, to be blessed means that that you have something, <laughs> right? Or that you're holding on to something or something's been given to you that you have either earned or deserve, right? In our culture, we throw out that if you're on Facebook or social media stuff, hashtag blessed every time something good happens to someone. 
Mary uses that word very differently here. And that's because the blessing, or sorry, the joy in the blessing comes through a biblical understanding of what blessing is, not from what our culture thinks there is about blessing. Hear this. Mary is facing the consequences and stigma of an unwed motherhood in a very traditional culture. She is about to be thrust into a life-harrowing adventure as she and her new family flee for their lives, especially for the life of her child, whom the powers that be want to destroy. She is at least in some way aware of the difficulties and tragedies that will befall her son, and Simeon, in Luke 2.35, says this to this new young mother, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Can you imagine being a young, scared mom, and this old guy comes to you and tells you that a sword is going to pierce your soul? Right? And of all this, hear this, all this she says, she's blessed. But not only that, she says that all those who come, that's the you and I's of the world, are going to think she's blessed too. Here's a good measuring stick for blessing. Especially joy in the blessing. Number one, is it easy to look at Mary, at her life, at her difficult calling, and call her blessed? Like if you were Mary, if you were in her shoes, men, maybe if you're in Joseph's shoes, that would probably be okay to imagine. Would you say at the end of this day, you know what? I am blessed. Or number two, do you call the same kinds of things in your life a blessing? Or do you have the tendency to call them a curse? Here's the point, friend. We can only find joy in the blessing when we have the right biblical definition of blessing. It is not what our culture says it is. It is not what we have. It is not what we acquire. It is not what we can get. To be blessed by God means that we are used by God or that which we enjoy is being used by God. Here's a great example. We just bought a house. Many of you know that. That's an area overjoyed. We never imagined we'd get the kind of place that we got. I mean, we're, we're absolutely blown away. And it's been really hard to not say we're blessed. Because the reality is we are, but the trouble is we haven't yet begun to live out that blessing. Because right now the only people that are enjoying it are who? Our family. That house only becomes a blessing. That property only becomes a blessing when it's used by God for his glory. Every single thing in your life that you call a blessing is not a blessing unless it is used for the glory of God. And hear this. That which God uses in your life is a blessing, whether you call it that or not. Your illness your poverty, your difficulties, your pains, your joys, right? These things are only blessings from the Lord if they're used by Him for His glory. And so I want you to hear this. For some of us, we, we need to, to re-examine what we think of as blessing and what we don't because we have a whole host of things in our life that the Lord has given to us for his glory, and we're cherishing it right here. 
we're holding on to it. We're putting it in our pockets. We're holding on to it. And we're not letting it go where it's supposed to go to actually be a blessing, not just to somebody else, but to you. Mary looks at this whole difficult situation she's in, this terrible, hard, horrible situation she's in. And yes, it's amazing, but it's horrible. And she says, I'm blessed. And everybody that comes after me is going to think I'm blessed too. Amen? Church, this week, when you're in your quiet time, just take, take the time. Make a list. Spend the time this week. Make a list of all the ways you think you're blessed, all the ways that you know you've been blessed by the Lord. You know, whether it's stuff that you have that you know the Lord has given to you, whether it's family or friends, whether it's your kids, whether it's a house, a job, a car that works. (laughs) Take all the things in your life. Spend the time. This is actually a really great exercise to do a few weeks after Thanksgiving, right, when we're supposed to be thankful for all that we have. But here's what I want you to do. Once you've made that list, I want you to go through that list and and look at each way and ask the Lord, how can you use this for your glory? How can I apply this to your glory? How can I give this back to you? Amazing things happen when the church takes the things the Lord has given them and starts spending them on everybody else. All right, number three. Number three, we... Looking at what Mary finds joy in in our passage, here's the third one. Mary finds joy in God's mercy. Verse 50 says, For his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Church, hear this. That phrase, generation to generation, means that God's mercy continues on and on and on. What Mary sees in her generation, and I want you to picture the mercy she's seeing in her generation. She's carrying the Christ child. In her lifetime, she will see that Christ child become a man and die for the sin of the world, for the salvation of all sinners. The mercy that she's seeing in her generation goes, what does she say? From generation to generation to generation. What that means is that from her generation to ours, God is saving people. He's working in people's lives. He's rescuing them from sin. Hear this. We're not the last generation until, unless Christ comes back right now. That means our kids' generation. That means our grandkids' generation. God is going to continue to work his mercy for all generations until there are no more generations. We need that hope, church. We need to find joy in the hope of God's mercy, which goes from generation to generation to generation. Why? Because that kind of mercy leads us and our loved ones and our neighbors straight into the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ died because we are sinners, because he loves us. That's his mercy. Mary sees that mercy generation to generation to generation. She sees that rolling forward. Church, somebody in this room right now needs to hear this. That mercy is the same today as it was the day Jesus was dying on the cross. If you look into your life and you see sin, you see anything in you that is not God's best for you, not God's best for your family, you see anything in your life that does not bring glory to the Lord but the opposite, then his mercy tells us that today you have an opportunity to repent of that, bring that before the Lord, confess that to him, and be forgiven. And if it's the first time you ever do that, then to find salvation 
And if it's the hundredth time you've done it, then you are finding sanctification, Christian, in the mercy of God, which continues generation to generation to generation. And you are not the only people that need to hear this, but everybody in the outside of the walls of this church needs to hear this too. The mercy is the same today as it was yesterday, and yet Scripture tells us that it is a new mercy every day. It means it's fresh. It's fresh for sinners like us who find new ways to sin every day. Number four, Mary finds joy in the future. Mary finds joy in the future. Verses 51 through 55. Now, some of you were starting to get worried that we're so far into this message, and I've only been covering one verse at a time, and we're going to be here all day. Verses 51 through 55, Mary finds joy in the future. Let me simply tell you this. If I were to preach on each one of these verses, we have a whole sermon series. We're not doing that today. What I want us to see is what Mary very clearly says in her language here. I'm only going to read the first words of each of each one of these verses. Verse 51, he has shown. Verse 52, he has brought. Verse 53, he has filled. Verse 54, he has helped. Now I want you to notice something. None of these things have happened yet in Mary's day. And yet what does she say about each one of them? She speaks about them in the past tense. And this is beautiful. Now, if you're a, a Bible geek, then you can know that, that these verbs were written in the aorist tense. And what that means is that they were done and they carry through forever. If you're not a Bible geek, don't worry about that. It's fine. But you should know that what it means is that they were done and they carry through forever. They are so firm in Mary's mind that even though she's speaking about future events, she's speaking in the past tense. Things in the past don't change. Church, we worship a God who is in all time. As he makes a future promise, he's already seen it carried through. And so Mary speaks of each one of these things, and there's amazing stuff in each one of these. I wish I could just dump all over you guys today, but I can't. But I want you to know that Mary is so confident in the future through the son that she's carrying that she speaks about all the things he does as if it's already happened. The way that some Christians carry on today, it is astonishing to me. The way they talk, the way they carry on with one another, you'd think that the Messiah had never come. You'd think that that God is out of control and that the things he's promised will never happen. Christians, we got to do better. We need to speak like Mary with every confidence that the sovereign God of the universe is actually in charge of this mess we're in. And when we speak like we're terrified about the future of our nation, but the Bible tells us that God holds all things in his hands. Church, here's the joy that happens in the future. We can know things are a mess. We can be incredibly unhappy with the state of things and how things are going and the various situations, politically, economically, or whatever else. But Christian, you know what we can't do? Is lose joy over it. 
We cannot lose joy over it. Why? Because Christ is king. We speak about the same way when we talk about salvation. What is our language, right? We say, God saved me, right? We share a testimony. God saved me. You know, yes, God saved you because everything you needed to do in salvation happened when Christ died on the cross. But the thing he saved you from hasn't actually happened yet, and that's judgment at the end of time. And yet we say what? God saved me. Why? Because when he saves us, it is forever. We can rest in that. We can trust in that. The same thing is true of our sanctification. The same thing is true of our perseverance. We talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. That God perseveres us to the end because his work is done. I try to say this a lot. I say this to myself probably more often than I say it to you all. Christianity is not about what will be. Christianity is what already is. Christianity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. And because he did, we will be saved into eternity if we're in him. And you look at Mary's joy and the confidence that she has through all of this. Why? Because she has a confidence in the future. Because that future is in her son's hands. That future is in Jesus' hands. Church, let me ask you the question I asked at the beginning of this. Are you as joyful as you should be? I mean, you might be the most joyful person in this room right now. You might be the most joyful person you know. But let me just tell you, you are not as joyful as you need to be. In light of who Christ is and what he's done in your life, what he's offered you. And maybe you're not joyful because you don't have Christ in your life yet. Maybe you're not joyful because you don't know all of this as Mary does. Here's the amazing thing that I I see in this. I could be wrong about this. Somebody wants to correct me on this. This is not a hill I'm willing to die. But Mary's the first Christian. She's the first one who believes everything about Christ. She's the first one that believes that he has come to rescue her people. She's the first one who puts her faith, her confidence, her trust in Jesus. He hasn't even died yet. And what is the first Christian's response Joy. It's joy. Her entire first response to the first response of the gospel being shared is joy. Church, we need to be a joyful people. Amen? How do we get joy if we don't have it? How do we get joy if we don't have it? Number one, this is really quick. Number one, ask the Lord for joy. I mean, you're sitting in your seat right now and you say, you know what? I'm a curmudgeon. I just am. Your prayer today before the communion is this, Lord, I confess my sin of curmudgeonliness and I pray that you would strengthen me in joy. If you want more joy in your life, pray for more joy. That's the first step. I will tell you this, when the Lord answers prayer, you know what happens in our lives? We get joyful. Again, every time we do this, every week, the first application is pray, right? 
always, you're annoyed at me already, that's fine. 20 years from later, from now, we're still going to be preaching. It's still going to be the first point of application because I believe and we should believe that if we want a spiritual blessing, it's going to come straight from God. And it brings us joy. Okay, ask the Lord for joy. Number two, let's study God's word specifically as it applies to joy. All right, where do I start? Well, this passage was a great place to start. You've already started if you're hearing this. It's my Christmas gift to you all. Where do you go from there? You go to the book of Philippians. The entire book of Philippians is about joy. It's about finding joy in who Christ is and in what he's done and who he's making us to be. Go study it. If there's a book of the Bible that I'd encourage our church to memorize, Philippians is a great one. It's not that long, so it's actually doable for most of us. And every word of it would be profitable for you for the sake of joy in your life. Every word. Lastly, how do we find joy? How do we grow in joy? We fix our eyes on Jesus and not on the circumstances of life or the things of this world, but we fix them on Jesus. We fix them on Jesus. We look to him and we find joy in being noticed by God. We find joy in the blessing of being used by and for God. We find joy in his mercy We find joy in the promise of the hope that we have in the sure future in him. Let us pray.